0: Now, back to InfoTrack. Once again, here's Chris Whitting.
1: For centuries, women's health
0: problems were often dismissed as hysteria. The situation still exists, though now it's often called anxiety. What can women do to advocate for themselves? Here with the story, InfoTrack's Gina Tedesco. Gina? Thanks, Chris. Joining us now is oncologist Dr. Elizabeth Coleman of Memorial Sloan-Kettering Cancer Center in New York. She is also a medical historian. Dr. Coleman is out with the book All in Her Head, The Truth and Lies Early Medicine Taught Us About Women's Bodies and Why It Matters Today. Doctor, you document that centuries of medical care often dismissed women's health problems as hysteria. Have those attitudes completely gone away?
1: I wish I could say they've all gone away. But there's a reason why when I tell women, especially that the title of my book is all in her head, that there's this sigh and response of, well, let me tell you a story where I was told by a doctor that it was all in my head. And though we may not use the term hysteria as much anymore, the specter of the hysterical patient still looms very large in our healthcare system today, particularly when we refer to women as anxious for a diagnosis that they may not be appropriately labeled with.
0: And you mention a modern-day woman with epilepsy whose doctor prescribed her to have sex, which would stop the seizures. How much of an outlier is a case like this in today's world?
1: Well, that one was certainly egregious, and the neurosurgeon that told me that was just absolutely horrified, but very much felt compelled to tell me that this is still happening. You know, when you go back in history, there were certain times when sex was either prescribed or prohibited as part of a medical treatment. I don't think that it's as obvious and as egregious as that example that I gave uniformly in our healthcare system, but I will say that women's sexual desire and sex, either the fear of it or the need to control it, historically impacted almost every aspect of our care, one of the things in doing my research was just shocking to me how many times some nature of women's sexuality was referred to with respect to an area of medicine that had nothing to do with her sexual function. For example, whether it was a doctor in the 1900s referring to women's risk of scoliosis as a function of whether she masturbated or not, or that women's heart disease was somehow related to or her blood disease was somehow related to her sexual desire for her husband. It was really just shocking to me and yet, when we look at today's medicine, we are far more likely to address men's sexual health needs than we are women. And that's a real problem in our healthcare system.
0: And you just mentioned that the medical establishment has dumped the word hysteria. You say that women with nervous system dysfunction are still habitually misdiagnosed and needlessly medicated for the, what you call the nearest contemporary equivalent, anxiety. Why is it so hard to get a correct diagnosis?
1: Well, I think part of the reason why it's been hard to get a correct diagnosis is that we need to spend more time listening to women and create an environment that allows women to safely explain what they're feeling as opposed to imposing what we think is wrong with them at the outset. You know, there are countless examples where women have been dismissed and called anxious. One really good area to bring up is menopause. I'm not saying that there aren't many women that need to be on antidepressants, but we know that women who go through menopause are disproportionately advertised to and given antidepressants when there may be other things that might help them, perhaps some, function of hormone replacement therapy or other medications potentially for hot flashes. And they don't all need blanketly antidepressants. And I think that's one area where, for example, we've just kind of given these broad diagnoses to a group of patients when perhaps we need to be much more nuanced and much more individualized in our care.
0: And I noted in your book, among the examples of real-life neurological problems that can be misdiagnosed or that doctors might dismiss as hysterical or imagined... The issue of a woman who presents with fatigue, weight gain, and depression, what might that actually be?
1: Well, there's many different things that that could be. You know, when we look at the history of autoimmune diseases, for example, 80% of autoimmune diseases are found in women. These are woefully understudied, and we still don't even have the language necessarily to diagnose women. When I would speak to rheumatologists, many of them would say that they have patients who for years were just told where well, you're tired or your joints ache because, you know, you're a new mom, or you're working too hard, or you're juggling too much, when in fact, they really had treatable autoimmune conditions that had real symptoms that needed real help for that took years to diagnose them. So there are lots of things that get jumbled together as just kind of, oh, you're tired, or you're in pain, when really, we need to understand these conditions more, and we need to treat them better in women and also dedicate research funds to them.
0: And you even pointed out that postpartum depression might be linked to inflammation of the thyroid gland as well after childbirth. We're visiting with oncologist Dr. Elizabeth Coleman of Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York. Dr. Coleman is out with the book All in Her Head, The Truth and Lies Early Medicine Taught Us About Women's Bodies and Why It Matters Today. You say an estimated 10%, 10% of all women will suffer an episode of strangulation from which they'll survive. Are emergency room doctors doing enough to ask about strangulation symptoms?
1: Well, I think it needs to go way earlier than our emergency room physicians. The data shows that one in four women, 25% of all women will experience severe violence at the hands of an intimate partner think about those numbers. That is an absolute epidemic. And it has to start where we address it far sooner than when they're actually the victims of that violence in an emergency room. I can tell you that when I was in my medical school training, we may have been taught to ask a woman, are you safe at home? It's just sort of this quick question that we ask patients, but we need to really have as a society, the resources available to help women who may be in violent, intimate relationships, and they don't have a way out. And it's absolutely terrifying. So things that I learned from emergency room physicians that I really didn't know was the number of times women have experienced violence, but it's not just strangulation, it's also concussions. We know that countless women in domestic violence disputes can experience repeated concussions. And when the police come or when they're asked to explain their story, they may be in such a haze from being hit in the head, and it may be assumed that they're drunk or high or unable to recount a good story. They've actually been hit in the head, maybe not once, but multiple times. That affects them not only in the moment, but for years and years to come.
0: Now, in light of all that you've told us, Give us three tips, if you can, on how a woman can advocate for herself, either in a doctor's office or in general.
1: Well, I think we all need allies, especially if you have a new diagnosis. I would say the first and foremost thing is if you're anxious and you're worried or you feel like you can't advocate yourself, bring a personal ally with you, a friend or a family member, someone who can help be another set of eyes and ears to be there for you and take notes and bring your questions. Secondly, in our complicated healthcare system today, know who the players are on your healthcare system. Does it include a nurse or nurse practitioner? And with the recent Cures Act, you may be getting medical information long before you're doctor has even a chance to see it. If they're in the middle of clinic, make sure you ask your doctor, how am I going to receive information? When will you get back to me? What's the appropriate way to communicate with you and who will be communicating with me? If you don't like your doctor, don't stick it out. Especially if you think they don't like you either, don't stick it out, move on. This is one of the most important relationships you will have in your life. And the better you have a trusting doctor that you feel comfortable with, the better care you will have overall.
0: You also write that women should not apologize for their needs. Is that a substantial problem?
1: Absolutely. I can tell you, not as a doctor, but as a woman and as a patient, as a caregiver towards women, it is shocking to me. I think I win the Olympic record, if there is one, for apologizing for my pain, for my healthcare needs. I'm so sorry if I'm a bother. It is unbelievable to me how often women apologize for being sick. Or apologize for normal bodily functions. That simply needs to end. It's unnecessary airspace, and it's renting too much time in women's mental health with respect to their physical health.
0: And finally, a difficult one, doctor, about assertiveness. What would you tell a woman to encourage her to be more assertive in helping herself get well?
1: Such a life lesson, right? And I'm still learning it. I have a daughter myself, and I'm trying to teach her boundaries and respect for herself and how to articulate herself in all settings. I think nothing is more important. Nothing is more sacred than your relationship with your body. And if you can take care of yourself, you're in a better position to also take care of others. So you need to talk to yourself and value yourself and assert your health care needs as much as you would do that. A loved one, a family member, a friend, you deserve that care as well. And don't stop till you get it.
0: All interesting information. Dr. Elizabeth Komen of Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. For InfoTrack, I'm Gina Tedesco. You're listening to InfoTrack, a production of Syndication Networks.